Welcome to Film Grain, the official podcast of the Film Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania and Greater Erie Film Office. My name is Megan Shoffrey. I'm a filmmaker and film student at Edinburgh University. I'm John Lyons, a filmmaker, teaching artist, and the executive director of the Film Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania. And I'm Stuart Nash, filmmaker, educator, and director of the Greater Erie Film Office. Star is Born returns for an encore screening at the Bourbon Barrel Wednesday, March 27th as part of our downtown dinner and movie series sponsored by Matthew Barzik, Allstate Insurance. Our guest today is Jack Rise, filmmaker, owner of The Films and film student at New York University. We're going to talk today about his upcoming projects and new crowdfunding campaign. And our roundtable discussion today is based on the age-old debate of film school versus no film school. If you've never been to a film grain dinner and movie event in downtown Erie, Pennsylvania, we screen movies on a big screen with a great buffet with vegetarian vegan options available. There's couch and table service all night long and good company at the Bourbon Barrel. That's 1213 State Street, Erie, Pennsylvania. Reserve table seats for $12 and couch seats for $15 through Film Society NWPA.org. So, John, let's talk about A Star is Born. So, A Star is Born, film from last year, nominated for a bunch of Academy Awards, starring Lady Gaga, Bradley Cooper. Uh, it won one Oscar for best song, Shallow, um, a particularly moving performance at the Academy Award telecast. Yeah, that I was felt. nice. Yeah, it was a good yeah. show. Yeah, it was well good staged, well designed. Um, I really like this movie. I know that uh, you know some people find it uh, a very Hollywood, Hollywood story. You haven't seen I it. I know. I know. I can't oh. see it in public. I'll start probably crying, like you said. If you <laughs> yeah. cried, I'll cry. It's really sad. Yeah, you will cry. Yeah, it. Um, you know, it gets me. I. Uh, you guys know we uh, we had a film production here last summer, and it's you know filmmaking is quite a struggle. And uh, for some reason, watching this movie. You know, as artists, I really connected with the, uh, you know, that struggle that um, Lady Gaga's character. Insecurities of being an artist. Yeah, insecurities. And, you know, she's um, a little older and, you know, has this opportunity. And uh, I don't know, it got me. And uh, I was I was weeping in the first half hour. <laughs> so. Wow, I'm done then. If first half hour? <laughs> wow. Don't yeah. wait till the arc? By the time, uh, n- you know, everybody is crying at the end of the movie in the audience, but I was the first person, so everyone's looking at me like a weirdo um, <laughs> early on in the theater, and then um, by the time it got to the end, I was out. I was completely dry, so I just heard everyone else, and now I'm like, yeah, you bastards. <laughs> uh, what role does Dave Chappelle play in this? Uh, Dave in the trailer. Yeah, Dave Chappelle is like um, one of, uh, I think it's Bradley Cooper's either high, like old friend. Yeah, Chappelle is like an old an old friend. Um, okay. Or maybe he was in the band or something like that. You get a feeling that maybe he, uh, they have history, but maybe he gets the industry. I like Sham- Sam Shepard, though. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. Great voice, which Bradley Cooper mimics throughout the movie. Um, it should be noted, Bradley Cooper... Uh, Deserves a lot of props for this. This is his first film um, that he's directed, but he directed, produced, he stars in it, he sings. 
Um, and he's credited with two others on the screenplay. So this is Bradley Cooper's baby. Quite a movie to um, jump into for your first. And a challenge because it's already been remade two or three times. So A Star is Born. And we're showing it a second time. Uh, we did a vote from our audience between... We had two films that sold out really fast uh, this season. And it was Bohemian Rhapsody and A Star is Born. So we did a vote... And the audience chose to show Stars Born Again, which I'm very happy with. And, uh, yeah, so we're showing it again. Audience choice. Um, so if you like A Star is Born or movies like A Star is Born, I would recommend um, A Star is Born from the 50s, the yeah. 50s version with Judy Garland. Oh, the Judy Garland one. Which I actually one saw the 1932 say? one, the original, the original. one. Yeah, because who's, who's in the original? Oh man, I knew you were going to ask me. Put that. you on the spot. But it was just—it's just cool to see the evolution of filmmaking and how that original uh, movie was made, and now it's been what four times now. Because I kind of forgot about the Judy right. Garland one. There's the Barbara Streisand right. one in the 70s. Which yeah, I'm so not crazy it's kind of like yeah, I'm not crazy about either. I really like the 50s one. I think it's darker than um, this current iteration it's not on any of the streaming platforms so you'd have to rent it um there's a documentary called gaga five foot two which i thought was excellent i don't know if you guys have seen it that's on netflix um so if you're wanting to learn more about lady gaga that's definitely a great one um there's another one about uh kind of a uh, a band leader struggling with fame that I thought was particularly great called Control from 2007. It's about Ian Curtis, who was the singer for Joy Division. That is not on any streaming platform, so you'd have to rent it as well. Um, but another one that you could rent um, that I liked recently is called Beyond the Lights, and uh, it's about someone um, that's kind of going through a phase in their career where they're not necessarily happy where it's at, even though they're the most successful person on the planet and finding, um, kind of refinding their voice again. That's on Amazon Prime. Okay, we're now joined with Jack Rise, a student filmmaker from Tisch, NYU. Uh, Jack, how you doing today? I'm doing great. How you doing? I'm doing all right. So we're here to talk a little film. Thanks for coming to the show, our Film Grain podcast. Thanks for having me. It's great to be on. Let's just start off right now. Uh, you are back in town because you are promoting an event for one of your films. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, um, so this weekend I'm, I'm having a screening of my last feature film, Mechanical Heart which I filmed in the summer of 2017 and premiered um, January 2018. And I'm just having another screening of it. But um, what I like to do with my events is not just do film events. I like to combine film and music because my background's like I'm both. So we're having some uh, local artists perform as well. Um, a lot of the same artists that actually performed at the premiere and stuff like that. So it's a music and film event, but the um, all the pr um, all the um, sales from the tickets are going towards um, helping finance my thesis project at NYU because it's my last semester, and so I'm buckling in and working on that. Let's talk about that in one second. Uh, what's the name of that film entitled? Uh, the name of the thesis film? Yes. It's entitled Jesus. Jesus. Okay, well, let's talk a little background because we've known each other for probably, what now, 10 years maybe? Oh, wow. It's been a while. <laughs> so uh, talk about how we met. 
and uh, your background a little bit. So um, we kind of like precursor Matt. The prologue to our meeting is um, my father went to high school with you. Yes, that's true. And um, so there was always the presence of Stu Nash and the collective unconscious there. <laughs> and um, But then um, I started working in high school in my sophomore year of high school at um, MTSD DTV. And that, that was the... Uh, the new the uh, where we broadcast like the game the like the different basketball games and stuff over the local television as well as like different board meetings and stuff like that and I was a camera operator for about four months until the school district started to shit the bed but and screw us all over but from that experience though we got to uh, finesse and finagle some equipment in our spare time and stuff like that and. We made the uh, first pro uh, the first project that I ever worked on, which was Blister in the Sun, and the bits s bits B I T S, where the summer between that was sophomore year and junior year of high school. Wow. Which high school? Uh, McDowell. I went to McDowell High School. I graduated in 2015, and so that was that was like the first like working on MTSD TV was like the first time like I, I worked for you and then we like worked to, like you kind of showed me the ropes and basically how to make a movie on my own and stuff like that which was crazy because I um, I was lucky to have you kind of mentor me through that process which was cool but then through the years we've just um, you've always been extremely supportive of the work that I've been doing and stuff like that as well as getting me involved with everything with the film office and everything like that and also um, one of my favorite memories is um, doing the Fight Club night and having you scream at me and Lazar's face outside of <laughs> That was a great night. Museum. <laughs> that, was a great night. <laughs> that was a great night. So it was the uh, 15th anniversary of Fight, Fight Club. Club. Yeah, we, we screened it at the art museum. That was so cool. That was when like, Chuck Palahniuk did the video interview, like, yeah. the, like the Q&A or whatever. That was so cool. It was a yeah. good night. That was a great night. Thanks for participating in that. Yeah. You had always, a tough role. Always. And actually, you won uh, Best Costume that night. You and Lazar, right? Yeah, we shared the... We won the um, the signed copy of Fight Club, and we both agreed that we were going to like share it and stuff like that and like give it off one week. I, I, I had it, and I never I, and he never asked for it, so I still have the book. Oh, I was going to say, <laughs> tell me Lazar doesn't uh, have Lazar, it. I have the book. I don't... I, no, Lazar has not asked me about it in like three years or whatever, so it's still... I'd in, say it's yours. At yep. this point. <laughs> So bits. We're trancing around in the backwoods, hauling yeah. camera equipment around. Oh, that was horrible. That was like, yeah, we had like um, the tripod, the camera. We had boo. We had more. Like I actually had more equipment in that film than most films that I usually work on to this day and stuff like that. Like I had more resources than I do usually now. Well, not with school stuff, but like with my like with mechanical heart, for example. That was extremely lightweight compared to like bits. We were walking through the woods, the wall. We had to go across the river. It was fun though. I think we returned to the um, to the woods locate that same woods location in um, Paper Plains, which was a spiritual sequel to that, and we just returned to the woods just to have fun and you know kind of revisit that period. But it was once again a lot more lightweight. We just had the DSLR back when we did that. That it was character building. It was character that and then the. Um, the flatbed, um, the flatbed pickup or whatever that would start only like fifty percent of the time, so we'd have to jumpstart it. I remember you guys turning to me, and I swear sometimes I thought you were making the script on the fly there. Oh, we were. And you're like, <laughs> look at me and go, oh yeah, you have a role in it. You're the mayor. Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. And I'm like, what? We threw you that. We I threw you. I threw that on you like the day of. Well, that it was a it was a it was a shit show, but it was a good kind. It was like yes. that, that's the way we wanted it. To, that was the way I wanted it to be. But I remember. Th 
you came out and like like super like it was like we gave you like a jacket or something to wear but you were wearing like khaki shorts with like this blazer jacket it was like in like a cowboy hat cowboy or something hat. it was ridiculous yeah, but it was. it was so i remember like you were changing into it and you're just hanging like basically your ward like your dressing room was like this tree or something like that you're like hanging <laughs> things hanging like hangers like on a branch or something like that how old were you um when you made that film I had wrote, I had written it when I was fifteen, and I had just turned sixteen when I started filming that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your style of filmmaking. Um, how would you classify yourself? Um, well, it's changed very much throughout the years, as it should. But um, I think you know, initially when I started, I wanted to be like you know some Cohen brothers or Tarantino want to be and stuff like that, like most people do starting out. But um, now, I mean, to me, like. My aesthetic has always been and carried over and just honed to this day has been very DIY and very, I mean, punk rock as well. Like, I grew up playing music before doing film and still playing music while doing film. And punk rock culture and punk, like, the do-it-yourself, held, things held together by duct tape and safety pins has always been my um, aesthetic of doing things. And, like, I'm all, I'm, I'm not afraid... In fact, I like to embrace, like, having, like, you know, the string, like, you know, the wires all being seen and stuff like that and, like, letting everything kind of hang out. Like, but, like, at the, on the flip side, um, I'm very, um, I'm very perfectionist in my way of sloppiness. It's a honed craft of sloppiness and filth at this point that I'm working on. Well, let's talk about uh, your thesis project then a little oh, bit. Oh, that, that's, 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 that's where filth comes in right there. Because <laughs> I want to, well, here, talk about that because I want to talk about your Kickstarter, your crowdsourcing too. Cool. So my thesis um, is, so it's, we do two thesis projects um, at NYU. We do, we, we don't call, like technically you don't call them thesis, you call them an intermediate in advance, but I just call it thesis to make things simple. But the intermediate is what you make your junior year. And you give and you're given like five hundred dollars to make that, and then your advanced is what you make your senior year, and that's um, you're given eight hundred dollars, which isn't a lot, anyways. But I'll get to that in a second. But um, so there's like three track, like there's like three different tracks of filmmaking at NYU. There's narrative, documentary, and experimental. And I'm cho- and like I chose last year to go down the experimental path and such. And so um, the film that I'm work, I had an idea for almost a year and a half of what I wanted my thesis to be and I was working on it, I was working on it and there was a period of like three or four months where I was just stuck, the script wasn't working, the idea just like, I was in a rut and I wasn't liking the idea anymore and then like one day in December, like one month before I had to have the thesis like pitched and do, I decided to just shit can the whole idea and it was like horrifying doing that but I was just like this idea isn't working for me anymore. But the moment I did that, I took a shower and immediately it's like the moment I cleared my head of the idea, this one came in and it felt better than like that idea had felt for the year and a half. And then I went in and pitched it and like I've been rolling with it and it feel like it's been really good. But what the film is, is it's a, um, it's like I'm trying to find a good way to describe it because it's like the, there's no script to the film and there won't be ever a script. It's a, it's like a film told through various mediums and stuff, but it's basically a um, documentary essay narrative film posing as a biopic so it's displaying the story in the final day of life of um, the musician Gigi Allen and his final day of life in New York City in 1993 but it's the film is using his is instead of being about his story it's using his story for me to explore larger spiritual themes and stuff like that I became very fascinated with um, Gigi Allen 
um, last semester in the fall where I took a, a, an avant-garde performance art course where we had to create a devised theater piece on the concept of Messiah and spirituality. And I became, I was like, I was really into like the occult and like cult shit like my junior year. So I started like pulling like stuff from that initially. Gigi Allen was a figure I was always aware of because I'm very into like the history of music and everything like that. But um, I remember some interviews of him when his lifetime and him claiming to be this spiritual messiah figure. And I was always like, how could this, and then there's some background with Gigi Allen, and some people aren't familiar with him. He was a punk musician from the 90s who was just a libertine, lawless piece of garbage who would poop on stage and throw it at people and cut himself wow. and, like, beat his fans up and sexually, sexually assault people. It was just, he just, he, he didn't believe in any rules and lived by that fully. And he was, he's a very divisive figure. You know, some people think he embodies, like, what real punk rock is supposed to be, but I think he's just, you know, a sleazy piece of garbage. But I wanted, but that's the way I always viewed him before, as just, you know, this piece of garbage. But I became fascinated when I had to do this performance art piece with how somebody could live that kind of lifestyle and see that kind of lifestyle as like a form of spirituality and like as a form of like being like a messiah figure. And so I became like ponder like what if like, you know, like a religious figure or like a god or something like that is like a destructive force and like I became fascinated with the idea of like self-destructive spirituality. And so I did a performance art piece that kind of related to that and then it kind of extended into this. So this film is more about exploring the idea of self-destructive spirituality and the idea of like how subjective one's idea of what is ethical or not ethical or spiritual or not spiritual can be flimsy. The biggest thing that I struggle with, not struggle with this film because I know like what I want, but the thing, the biggest struggle with making this film is going to make, Gigi Allen is somebody that I think is a personally, my personal opinion of them is I think they're an abhorrent person, like just said very abhorrent things and did abhorrent things. And I don't want this film to be viewed as some kind of me trying to perpetuate the legacy. But at the same time, I don't want the film to be seen as merely just a satire of his life or, or, or talking down on him because I feel then then I think it's so easy to either glorify or condemn him and I think my opinion is pretty well known at this point of what I'm trying to do so what I'm trying to do is do something beyond my opinion of him it's like look at him beyond my opinion or the opinions of other people this person and use him to like explore a darker because I believe I'm really I got really into Jungian psychology the past couple of years and there's a little bit of there's a funny bit in Paper Planes where I talk about Jung where I don't know what I'm talking about at all with him but now it's come circle where I've learned a lot more about Jungian psychology and I believe that um, we can see ourselves in every person and even the darkest aspects of ourselves that might not ever come to the surface of ourselves but they are a part of our psychology and I think in order to understand ourselves fully more we need to delve into the darker parts as a psychology and to me Gigi's self-destructive and not just self-destructive but destructive around him personality and views of the world are so, it reflects a part of the human subconscious that maybe is not surfaced with most people and stuff like that or remains unconscious for the rest of our lives but a big part of Jungian psychology and also I practice some transcendental meditation is that in understanding the self you need to understand all parts of the self even the parts that are unconscious that never become conscious fascinating 
I was just curious. Uh, can we see this performance art? Any this piece? It, that piece was available anywhere. Um, it's not because it was it was like solely for, it was it was done for a class and stuff like that. And there was a installation that we had to do for the class. I've been considering doing like an expansion of it and stuff like that, and maybe delving more into performance art and stuff like that. Can you explain a little bit of what happened? With our performance art piece, what we did was um, we wanted to do the aspects of multiple ideas. Um, multiple ideas of self and spirituality forming basically at first seeming so different and so but it's about how different ideas clash against each other when looked at initially but when looked at in the long run the x you're a lot more similar than you think and so we did we basically were in a group of like five or six people i forget and we decided like um with the group that each of us would represent a different aspect or a different interpretation of spirituality or religion and so we all played we were all musicians and we all decided to play different instruments and stuff and we would start la- so we'd have one person layering do one thing at one point then another person layer on top and soon all that we were all playing on top of each other and when it started it sounded like cacophony like it sounded very hard to the ear because we were playing very different things and stuff like that but through the piece we started slightly tweaking things to a point tweaking things where it wasn't like odd, it wasn't perceptible like to someone watching in the moment but by like seven minutes and it actually like sounded like something cohesive and stuff like that and so it was like the slow amorphous blob from complete noise to like something that was a succinct pattern almost like a loop and like what each and how each person played the instrument and what each person did on the instrument was a different thing and so I was more focused on the idea of destructive and transgressive spirituality and so I was playing the guitar through a heavily distorted amplifier and not playing like any Stink or melodic notes and playing with a lot of noise. I told my group it was an accident, but it was on purpose for the performance. Was I was playing with a um, with instead of a pick, I was playing with a razor blade, and sliced my hand open and stuff like that, and started bleeding all over it and stuff like that. And all and like the room was all white too, so it was getting on the floor and stuff. And it was really beautiful. And my group like was like freaked out because I I told them it was an accident because I knew they wouldn't have told they wouldn't have let me do it during it. But I was like, but I just like said, oh, I'm so sorry. But like, it was really cool. And my teacher, my professor was like a madman. So he let me do it and he thought it was pretty cool and stuff like that. And so it was pretty cool and stuff. But there was a, there, I, we didn't have a lot of time. That's what I'm saying. We didn't have a lot of time to prepare for it and stuff like that. We only had like a week or two. Didn't get to do as much as I wanted to do with it. But it like, it sparked the idea of like exploring that aspect of spirituality a lot. Okay. So let me ask you this because you had just mentioned a comment that kind of drives me crazy. But so, you're working with fellow students, right? Producing these films as far mm-hmm. as camera and crew and all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So everyone's there, you're on set, but you don't have a script. How <laughs> does this work exactly? So um, I usually do have scripts. With what we were talking about with Listen to Sun, I like, and when I was making things up on the fly, like that was, that, that was just novice stuff, like doing, you know, not knowing what the hell I was doing every day. But like usually- but your direction, like to your actors, what do you tell them to do for the certain scene? Well, for this, for this film, well, yeah, this film is a unique challenge to me, where it's like, this is the first film I have ever made without like a script script. And so there's, the thing with this film is that there's no dialogue and like it's, it's mostly ton, it's mostly silent. And not silent, like there's a lot of noise going on. The film's told through multiple formats of art. So like there's a sequence of animation that I'm doing. I'm working with animators from North Carolina. There's a sequence of dance and, there's two or three sequences of dance and choreography. I really like using dance a lot in my films. There's one sequence of like actual literal recreation and stuff like that where we are trying to recreate a historical scene. It's this final concept where we do try to literally portray it. 
but the rest of it is told through a lot of very abstract imagery and stuff like that that we're creating and stuff like that. And so working with that, my big thing is like the more I learn about filmmaking, the more I become immersed in my work, I, I am more willing and willing and willing to give up control and let things, I'm really big about letting things happen naturally and stuff like that. Cause I believe too, like I just, I used to be very controlling. I used to be very like, you know, like Kubrick, like think Kubrick was God. I mean, I still love Kubrick films obviously, but like very con- perfect, you know, like every limit meticulous detail has to be micromanaged. And now like I really, I got really into jazz music last year and like, especially like free jazz. And so like, I'm just now much more into like, letting my actors work things out. What I like to do with my actors and what I do with the casting roles as well and looking for actors is I don't, I never, I don't tell my actors to act. I don't want them to act. I don't want them, I want them, because I, once again, it goes back to the whole union idea of psychology where I believe the characters that I write or the characters I'm portraying and stuff like that are displaying a part of our psychology that we all have. So what I ask my actors to do is, I don't want you to act, I don't want you to try to understand this character's backstory and something like that. I want you to be yourself and I want you to find the part of the subconscious, the part of, your, the part of yourself that is in this character and amplify it to your whole. When I did Mechanical Heart, for example, with um, Ken Brundage in that role or whatever, and he plays a very jaded and grouchy piece of garbage. and. Ken is one of the sweetest people I know, but to get him to play that role, I never like we never, I never discussed with him, and I never sat down, we never talked about their backstory and stuff like that with Ken and whenever or with all the characters. But I'm just using Ken as an example. Right. But like I would say, find the part of yourself that has been rejected and the most neurotic part of yourself. Like what, and I would ask him like, what are you, what are you neurotic about? What, what, what are you insecure about? And he'd be like, well, not much anymore. And it's like, well, were you ever insecure in your life and stuff like that? And he'd be like, yes. I'm like, find that period of your life, and I want you to be that version of yourself. I don't want you to be this character. I want to be that version of yourself because that's what this character is. My films are about the self, and I think, and like, are universal in a way, I believe. Like, I don't, I'm not about like creating like, you know, clever stories or clever like weird character. I mean, like my characters and my stories end up being that way through the natural course of events of me focusing on how does the self relate to these characters and how does the story serve the sense of self and the universality of it. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit of business now. You're crowdsourcing this thesis film and tell me how we can uh, help donate to the cause. So yeah, this is the first time I've ever actually worked with crowdsourcing before and stuff like that. It's usually something I'm uh, I'm not fully comfortable with because like I always like, um, um, I'm always like afraid of asking people for money for something that isn't done yet and stuff like just because of my own insecurity and stuff like that. But you know, my producer was like, you know what? If people want to finance it, they'll finance it. And if they don't want to, they don't want to. You're not forcing anyone to give you money and stuff like that. And so, we set up a crowdfund on Indiegogo, and we um, you can contribute on there. I don't know the exact URL right now, but I can send it to you. Sure. Great. But um, the one of the things with um also my weariness of um doing crowdfunding is I don't have any like I believe you know you should incentivize people and give you know back to the people that are helping you and stuff like that but I was like I don't know what to do for incentives because I have no money to like get merch or anything like that or do anything like I was like well I want to do something a little bit unique then and stuff like that you know and kind of go with the true the spirit of this film and like the my 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 I create art and like another big ideal for my art is the idea of creating community through art so like my art belongs to the community it doesn't belong to me I'm very individual with my art when I make it but when it's out there it's out there I want the community to have it and they can do whatever they want with it and so I went with the idea of 
making my body the communities as well. And so we... When I read this, I thought you were crazy. Nope, we're doing it still. $10. If you do that, you either get a ticket to the, the screening or whatever this weekend, but obviously not everyone's in town. Everyone, my people aren't busy. Some people are in New York or North Carolina. So then with $10, you get... Um, you get just a, a handwritten letter and stuff like that, and then like that's like some very small token. So. I was gonna say, let's talk about the fifty dollars. Well, we're let's gonna yeah, twenty five dollars is a thank you. Outs. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. the normal stuff. But then when you get to fifty dollars, when you get to fifty dollars, you get all the incenses below, obviously. But I will get a um, a tattoo with your initials on my body. I get to choose where, but you, but I will get. <laughs> For fifty dollars. For fifty dollars, I'll know, do it. Isn't I'll that do like, it. I have now a friend who does dollars. For a hundred dollars, I will do your full name. And once that again, is commitment. I will, that is commitment. I will do your full. And like people are like, won't that be more expensive? Because tattoos. I have a friend who does them, and they're doing it as a favor and stuff. So I have a friend doing it as a favor. But and then um, for so that's for hundred, you get the full, you get the full name. Twenty five hundred dollars. Also, the community. This goes the idea. Um, I will put up a poll online, and I will dye my hair any color the community chooses to vote on. Excellent. And so that's the $2,500 one. I'm pretty sure we'll reach that. I think you definitely. Well, your total goal, what I'm reading here, is $5,000. Well, that's 21% our, of the way yeah, there. Yeah, it's 5000 And if we reach $5,000, which I made that goal a little bit too high on purpose because I'm a little nervous about that that's one. That's totally achievable. Oh, I want to oh. know what you're nervous about. What's well, $5,000. If I get the $5,000, I promised I'd shave my head on camera. Oh, Which is like... I've net my hair is something very important to me. So I donate for that. I know you, <laughs> but that's where you go if you donate two hundred dollars to it. Which I don't know if anyone ever will, but if you do donate two hundred dollars, I'll you you will be the person who shaves my head, and I will pay for your travel arrangements to do that and to and stuff like well, that. I just want my name on your body. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> so how long is the? This sounds awesome. Um, how long? And and I love how it ties into the theme of the piece this is great how long is the uh, campaign going for it's up it's up until we start principal photography which is like the second day of may so i think it ends like right then it's like 50 days i think left there's some 49 or 50 days left okay and it's kind of nerve-wracking too because like i know i'll get this money eventually and stuff but like a lot of it right now for the stuff paying i'm paying out of pocket right now yeah. and i'm writing down everything and i'm like i hope i get this money back you, yeah, keep track of all receipts. No, I, I, got, I, got, I, got, I don't got know how many times I gotta tell filmmakers. I mean, the school, just, and like the school is giving us eight hundred dollars too, but like that's nothing. That's a drop in the that's, bucket. That's nothing in New That's York food City. for one day. Exactly, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But the flip side with that though is that they, we have we own the rights to our films. So the school doesn't own the film. We can do whatever we want with the film. Basically, as long as we remain in safety regulations, we have complete creative freedom with it. The school doesn't have any like they can say oh we don't think this is a good idea or we don't like this and stuff like that but they can't do anything unless we're in violation of hate safety things and stuff like that, which awesome. is really unique because most schools own the rights to the film. Well, that's yeah. what I thought because I could have swore that was the opposite case, but it's glad I'm glad that you said most that. School, because most I schools most schools do own most schools like USC and like I was at um, I was I spent my first year of college in UNTSA University of North Carolina School of the Arts in Winston Salem and like they own the rights as well. So, in like the school, you can't do anything with the film unless the school dictates it and the school has their stamp on it. Okay, we were just talking about school, which is a great segue into our next topic, um, our roundtable, and that is the age-old film school versus no film school. 
Um, I can tell you with my background, uh, I went to school at San Diego State University Film School. I didn't really learn anything about production until I got into the real world, um, but I did want to get that four-year degree. So uh, that being said, Megan, what's your experience been so far with film school versus no film school? I am personally like glad that I went to film school. I don't technically it's it's film school, but it's also like more of like a BFA, so Bachelor of Fine Arts. So at Edinburgh, what we do is we're getting a, a degree in cinema with a concentration in film and video, but we're taking uh, drawing, printmaking, like all these other classes, which people bitch about a lot. <laughs> um, but also like you chose to come to a liberal arts school where, you know, they're trying to, the, the whole point is to like make you well-rounded, um, which for a while I was kind of like, thinking about transferring to another school because I was like, I want to just go for film. And I was like really interested in getting a degree in like directing rather than just like an overall film degree. But I am glad that like I I'm getting like a BFA instead just because, and I'm glad that I came to school in general. Um, I think it's not for everyone, but for me, like I feel like it helped me gain confidence and like, I feel like I'm ready to kind of go and get a job in the film world. Um, but like you said, with production, uh, I don't really feel like I learned a ton about production on, on like a large scale other than doing stuff like outside of school, like working on Unearth and um, working with Rob Frank in Erie. Like, I feel like that's where I kind of learned more about like the real world and how production works. Because we still have, you know, obviously we still do our own productions, but it's on a lot smaller scale. The The most money that we've had for a film so far is like $1,200. So... That kind of gives you an Student idea. Student films, right? No. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. Does Edinburgh give you a budget, or is the is starting I... last year? Yes, Edinburgh started giving us a budget because um, we got a new professor, and he's starting to kind of like build that. Uh, What's his name? Brian Fuller. Okay. Um, but last year, our budget from the school was only two fifty, so that was meant to kind of cover like Third. the beginning of like festival costs, yeah. uh, and then we each put in. Um, I think last year, I think we did each of us put in like 50 or a hundred. So we kind of like built our budget a little that way so that, that we could start paying actors per student, per project, per Dang student. It. Okay. Yeah. So there's, um, our, our film group is kind of small right now. There's only like nine of us in the senior class or in film four. And this, like, so this semester we got the same amount from the school 250, but we each put in a, a bit more money. So that's how we kind of like built our budget a little bit, but I think it's a good idea to, to like do crowdfunding and I definitely think that that's something that like Edinburgh is starting to get into um, because Brian is trying to push that and he he definitely does want us to have like bigger productions and you know more actors and catering and like I mean we have all of that but he's trying to make it on a more professional and larger scale for us so that we are getting more like of a production background when we graduate. How about you sir? What are your opinions on film school or no film school? Which you're at probably one of the most prestigious film schools in the U.S., yeah. which is great. It's fun. So uh, not to put you on the spot. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a lot of opinions on it. My opinion in film school is that I think the idea of having school for, school for any, arts and, any arts or any kind of degree is fantastic. I think the biggest problem that we have, though, and it's, it's a very American problem, is the accessibility of it. So I think it's extremely, arts degrees in general are very, a lot of the times, less about having the degree and more about the connections you make in the school and stuff like that. So often you're paying for more of the connections and like all that stuff that you're doing. And like, 
not like you're getting an education, obviously, but I would say you can get as good of an education in film school as in Edinburgh as you could in NYU, in my opinion. Like, there are obviously going to be more prestigious professors and, like, all that stuff. But, like, I do, like, I'm a big, very big believer in, like, it's very hard to teach talent or creativity, but it's very easy. Not easy, but it's a lot easier to teach a craft and, like, teach people how to use things technically. And so you can do that anywhere. But people go to schools like NYU or, like, I know I did and stuff like that or USC or UCLA because of the connection those school have. And like the opportunity, Yeah, and the yeah, access. Definitely. Exactly. And it's, it's ridiculous because those, those, those schools cost, like, and, like, I'm paying, like, 50, 60K a semester. Not a, a year. for And, like, that's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous amount of money for, I think... Not in all honesty, not you, you begin to realize is not a lot of return. So I think my experience and stuff is in regards to like learning and everything. It's like I learned so much in the first two years of film school. I learned more than anything in my first two years. Like it was so good to go to film school and like basically have people call you out on your shit and stuff like that. Like that's where you realize, you know, you go in there and you think, you know, you're in high school and you're kind of like the dude who made movies in high school. And then you go there and you realize that like, <laughs> sorry, no, you know, you know, you know. <laughs> I hear you loud and clear. Right? And then you see like everybody's making films about like drug dealers and people with addictions or depression and stuff like right. that. And you're like, oh, I need to, I need to work harder. I need to actually like focus harder on telling stories that aren't being told. Mm. And so you have, you get to, it's not competitive because, well, some people are very competitive, but I'm not competitive and stuff like that. But it's like, you do get to like see other people's work and see how it compares to yours and be like, oh, what am I doing that is unique? What am I doing that's maybe cliche? And and you're also learning so much about the history of film. You're learning that, like, the schools that I went to, I was very fortunate. Like, when I went to North Carolina for my first year, they were almost, like, purely focused on craft over, like, aesthetic and stuff like that. So we, like, we did take film history courses and stuff like that, but they were very focused on, like, putting a camera in your hands, putting you, like, we, they had sound stages and stuff. Like, we filmed on a sound stage within our first semester and stuff like that. And so I'm very grateful for that because it, allowed me to like learn the gear and stuff like that but after like my second year or whatever I wasn't really learning much in the classroom anymore it was mostly just like history or criticism courses and stuff like that and I was just writing about old movies that like you know I maybe not seen anymore and like I'm interested in making movies I'm not interested in writing about them and stuff like that and so I wasn't learned I haven't really learned much my past two years but I, well, I have learned a lot but all my experiences of learning have happened on set after that have happened on my production class where I'm going out and filming my thesis films or I'm working on other people's films and stuff like that. And so... You're kind of a both minds then, I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's the way I put it is like in the ideal world, a BFA in film or a degree in film would be amazing if it was a two-year program, at least. Like, in my experience, because you could spend those two years in the classrooms really working and then you just work. Well, my senior year, I've only taken two or three film courses this whole year because I'm just, I don't need credits and stuff like that, but I'm still paying for the credits because I need to graduate. But like, I'm doing most of my work in production and learning in production, which is not for school credit unless it's for the production classes. And so it's just like, I think making art accessible is really important. So my thing is like film school is great, yeah. but like I think we need to emphasize less the importance of like these like elite schools like NYU or USC and UCLA and focus more on like broadening and providing more resources all around and stuff like that. Because also we're in an age in the industry where I feel like the way things are done economically and stuff is changing so much than it was before. Like you... You know, like, people like Tarantino in the 90s were saying, oh, you don't need to go into film school. But, like, it was very difficult, like, then to do that. Now it's becoming so much easier to actually not do that and, like, make your own way and stuff like that and, like, educate yourself. And, like, you know, like, I'm shooting things. Like, this film is being shot 
I would say 60% of it's being shot on my phone. And like, and like, because like the new iPhones is like that shooting like 4K and stuff like, it's obviously not going to be like, you know, a Sony or an Alexa or something like that. Well, sure. But I mean, what, Tangerine, that was shot on a phone. Oh yeah, it? exactly. And, and you, get you, you get beautiful, you get beautiful. shoots on a phone. Exactly. Time, so you can do that now. You can actually like make movies that like look theatrical in your pocket. Yeah. And some people see that as a threat and stuff like that. They're like, oh, right. any person with a camera now thinks they're a filmmaker. But it's like... You still need to have a craft. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right. well, my big thing is, though, is like if only thing separating your how good you are is like a cinema... Like, for example, if you're a cinematographer, says, oh, anyone who has a phone now thinks they're a cinematographer and stuff like... If you think the only thing separating you from like some amateur is a phone, like you need to be a better cinematographer mm -hmm. then yeah. and stuff like... That's what I'm saying. You need a craft to be good. You need to be... You need to have talent. It doesn't just take a phone and stuff it and it's like, consistency yeah. sorry no, it's consistency no. it's it's uh ambition to uh take a project on and then look for the next project and keep looking for the next one too i think it's being thirsty man it's right. being thirsty and for ideas and that's that's what separates i think the amateurs from the professionals exactly yeah i mean i'm the only one here that didn't go to film school so it's interesting uh listening to you guys talk i i think what you were kind of alluding to there with everyone thinks they're a cinematographer now is that sounds like kind of the old school thinking that's just another firewall of like when you were talking about before when quentin tarantino and them were coming up yeah you had to be wealthy mm -hmm. to go to these film schools and have a shot at all mm -hmm. because no one could afford like film yeah. processing oh, and no. all the cost equipment me a hundred dollars like just to buy a uh, roll of 400 foot kodak a color film at 400 <laughs> speed, you know, it's and then ridiculous. it takes another hundred dollars to yeah. develop it. I mean, and you yeah. guys are talking now in 2019, you got eight hundred dollars from school right. and you get 250. Exactly. And you get to shoot on a hard drive, exactly. Yeah, style, you know, which was completely different. But so, major pros and cons of uh, school or no film school. So, if you go to school, basically, you can uh, have resources, uh, you're gonna have your networking probably a stronger freedom to learn and explore. Um, it could be potentially more affordable and you get a more well-rounded education. Cons though are the price. You'll probably end up leaving with a student. Uh, massive debt. Yeah, I massive debt, student that. massive <laughs> debt. Uh, the cons too is that the internet exists now. Touch on based on what you had said, the technology's there. Everybody can do pretty much whatever they need to do. Uh, maybe there's too much structure in the school. Uh, and also cameras are cheap and easy to use right now. So again, the access and technology. And then I would say the last important thing, there's no guarantee of a job. That, exactly, exactly. You're paying so much money on like a fraction of a chance of like, I'm going this, like I'm a director and I'm a writer and I work really hard and I make like, I would say like all right work, especially like in regards to NYU and stuff like that. The school puts their faith in me and stuff like that to give me money, like only like 10 projects get chosen. So it's awesome, but like, when I'm out of school, like it's on, it's on me. You know what I'm saying? Like it's on me to put that film out there and like that. There's a joke, um, at least in New York, is like direct, like especially as a director and a writer. Like directing and writing are the highest paid entry level jobs and stuff like that. Because like those are very hard jobs to climb up into and stuff right. like that. You, That's you not your starting. Get the, you get like it's like it's kind of like being like an actor. You get your break. You right. kind of get a break. You can't. You can work other jobs. You know, you can be a PA or work other. You know, work as a you know an AD or something like that. But like those aren't jobs that are gonna climb your way up as opposed to it's a little bit easier with like cinematography or like producing jobs you can kind of there is kind of a hierarchy with those but with directing and writing it's kind yeah. of just like do you have a story and they're gonna pitch it can you get your foot in the door somewhere and like just like you know it's like auditioning as an actor you just got to keep trying until somebody thinks you're the right person people want to see your work right they want so commenting you know listening to you guys talking about you know I learned the most and it's the most rewarding kind of being out there working in the field that's when you're applying for like an open position on a crew 
they're not going to say, oh, he has necessarily, he has a degree from mm-hmm. X school. They're going to say, show me your reel, you know, show me some examples of your work. Oh, they don't, yeah, they don't care about your, like, your degree, that's the thing, your degree will might, like, get you in the foot in the door somewhere, but, or like. Or connections. Yeah, that's that what I'm saying, have. like, you might get a connection to them, like, oh, this person went to NYU, I went to NYU, or, but, like, that's not going to get you the job, though. Like, they want to see your reel, they want to see what you're doing and stuff like that. And, like, for example, like, I worked on this project, and the D- it was a student project, but the DP wasn't even an NYU student. It was just some kid that someone knew, and he had an amazing reel and stuff like that, and he just got the DP job because of that. Like, and he didn't even go to film school at all. And so, like, people are more concerned about the actual concrete work that you're putting out. And that's you don't need yeah. to be in film school in this day and age to be putting out concrete real work. And I would say, too, I think you put internet in, like, the con, but I would also say it's a pro as well just because, like, what you just said, um, putting your work out, it's so much easier to market yourself and, like, build a brand around yourself and, like, market it to, like, the industry and to show off your skills that way as well whereas like before like we didn't have any of that so yeah like, <laughs> i feel I like just, it's hard to like get yourself out there i can just there. like link people to my youtube and stuff like that now if i like you know if you want to see my like i post most of my work on my youtube or vimeo and stuff like that and so like you don't need to go to like some exclusive art house screening to like see a lot of student film work you can just go on the internet and see a lot of student film or new work from nyu or the bigger film schools and the smaller film schools in the community that works made more accessible we'll make sure and link to those as well in our notes for the (laughs) podcast thanks for reminding us all right so we have an announcement from our frank photography he is looking for talent for an upcoming shoot he's looking for approximately 10 to 15 background actors for an upcoming product shoot in late april ages approximately 21 to 35 years old male and female Uh, you must feel comfortable interacting with others in a group setting if you feel this is something that you're interested in please supply a headshot and you can email that to rob at rfrankphotography.com you can also log on to rfrankphotography on his facebook page and uh, connect with him there Uh, these are non-speaking background roles and you will be compensated for your time so uh, be sure to check that out that's been our episode remember you can buy tickets to a star is born at the film society's website film society nwpa.org or at the door doors open wednesday at 5 30 p.m dinner comes out at 6 film starts at 7 and make sure and follow us on social media you'll find all the tags and links in the show notes for the episode thank you jack for joining us great discussion and we'll talk to you guys next time this was film grain